Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the Sastio Podcast, where we challenge listeners to cook a gourmet meal using only ingredients found in their glove compartments. I'm your host, Jeff Maines, and in all seriousness, I help B2B SaaS founders like you profitably scale from seven figures, which is really good, to eight and nine figures, which is amazingly great. We create premium valuation, profitable growth, and freedom so that you build a business you're proud of and create a life of impact that you love. Today is a super special day. It is the one-year anniversary of SaaS Fuel. First episode released a year ago today. It's hard to believe it's been that long. 66 episodes. It's been fantastic. About, uh, I'd say, 18 months ago, I was thinking about more ways to serve the SaaS community, highlight great SaaS founders, kind of the unsung heroes of the world, bootstrap founders in particular, and someone suggested a podcast. And I made excuses and put it off and said I was too busy. I didn't know how. And lots of really lame, stupid excuses. I mean, really, like, didn't know how, really? I'm an entrepreneur. I live in the world of I don't know how until I do it and learn how. I mean, do you ever do that thing where you you know kind of put something off or making excuses and you realize that? Yeah, it's a good way to miss opportunities. And I did a, a similar thing a few years back, pre-pandemic. I was offered to host a TV show. And it's really kind of funny, the exact same excuses. You know, can it be different enough? Can it stand out? What if it sucks? What if it fails? I mean, at that point, even Tim Ferriss couldn't get enough traction to keep it going. And honestly, just a bunch of dumb excuses, a bunch of head trash. And that opportunity just passed me by. And so here I was again, the very same track playing in my head, the same old head trash. And I just decided I'm going to do it. And if it fails, so be it. It won't be from a lack of effort. And, you know, I've failed before a lot of times. And so episode zero dropped one year ago today. And here we are, episode 66. We've gone from one week to twice a week at the beginning of 2023. And the best thing, you know, isn't just a podcast. It's the founders that I've been able to meet. It's the experts that I've learned from. And most importantly, the relationships that I've built. And that never, ever would have happened without taking the chance, without staring fear in the face and saying, nope, you're not going to win today. And, you know, nothing lasts forever. One day the show will end or transition or something, but uh, hopefully not anytime soon. But none of it would be possible without my assistant, Danica. Yep, like the race car driver, uh, who is just awesome. I mean, Danny is the one who actually makes the show work. Uh, The original producer, Harry Duran, and the full team over there at Fullcast, uh, Pod Machine took over 2023, added video. Our awesome guests make this whole thing possible. But really, the, it all comes down to you as a listener. And I really, really appreciate it because this whole thing is pointless without you. So thank you all. And you know, if you're enjoying the podcast and getting value, you would love to hear from you. Subscribe. Give us a, a review because that just lets the, the team know that you really appreciate what, uh, what we're putting together here and the content that we're putting out. really means a lot to me. And, and has over the last year, just getting that feedback and the reviews and the, the emails. So I really, really appreciate that. We can always leave us a, a comment at 903 Fuel. Just give us a call, leave us a comment. We'll play that on a future episode. 
or send us some feedback, sasfuel at championleadership.com. Always appreciate to get that and the team does as well. Are there things as a SaaS founder entrepreneur that you said no to or are saying no to now? And, and don't get me wrong, I do think it's important to guard our time as leaders. But sometimes it seems like there are things that we put off or we don't do because of fear or that you know we, we know we should do. But there's those excuses just like I had. It's that head trash in there. You know, one I hear a lot is, is video. You know, being on camera, social media is scary. But, you know, I know it'll really help business, but, you know, I just don't really want to do that. Or entering a connected market or expanding or funding or growing. And I heard a few weeks ago, I was talking to a founder. He's like, hey, I don't want to grow too big. And, you know, I, I promise you, growth will not surprise you and explode overnight. But as we continue to talk, the, the few there really wasn't about growth or getting too big. It was about just being maxed out and about being overwhelmed and not able to take on more. And, and in his mind, growing meant more overwhelm and just you know, was not ready to sign up for that. So you know, we worked on that for a few weeks, solved it, and growth is not something that's scary anymore. But what would that thing be for you? You know, what would you do? What would you try? What would you dare to attempt if there was no risk and you knew 100% that you wouldn't fail? What is that thing that you would do? What would you try? Because your greatest success is likely right on the other side of that fear. This week's episode is sponsored by FounderPath. If you want to scale up, you need capital to do it. You could raise and give up big chunks of equity for a few bucks, or you could do what the smartest founders do, and that begins with FounderPath. Get non-dilutive capital in 24 hours with no personal guarantee, no crazy fees, and super generous payback times. It's an absolute game changer. It's exactly what SaaS founders need, and the process is super, super easy. We've negotiated some special perks as a SaaS Fuel listener. Visit our site, sasfuel.com. There's a special link right there at the top of the page or in the main menu up top under resources that says Get SaaS Funding. Get the funding that you need. Keep your equity with FounderPath. On Tuesday, we talked with Bridget Harris, co-founder of YouCanBookMe.com. She leads a team of over 30 people in a, a multi-million pound profitable business, 22,000 customers, a million people making bookings every month. Bridget is a great leader and one of my favorite bootstrap founders. So if you missed her episode, definitely give that a listen. Our expert guest last week was Scott Stouffer, founder and CEO of Scale Matters. He shared how B2B companies build go-to-market engines that reduce CAC, shorten sales cycles, and drive capital-efficient growth. Great SaaS insights and strategies from a multi-billion dollar SaaS founder. So if you missed either one of those, Scott or Bridget, definitely go back and queue them up, give them a listen. Our current guest today, from a trailer park to Sunset Boulevard, Jeremy Redman has built three six-figure companies and one seven-figure no-code tech companies from nothing. He's also raised millions of venture capital as well as generated seven figures in revenue for TaskMagic, his automation software for small businesses. He shares his journey by contributing to Entrepreneur Magazine as well as on his YouTube channel, The Jeremy Redman. So welcome to SaaS Fuel, The Jeremy Redman. Hey, Jeremy, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Hey there. How are you? How are you? Are you good today? Doing fantastic. Do you have your phone off? 
ringer on vibrate. <laughs> I turned it up extra loud just for this recording. <laughs> that's what I want to hear. That's the imperfections yes, that's of life, right. which we can get into. But like, uh, just just so you have yours on high volume, I'm going to turn mine on high volume. Like I'm <laughs> there. We go. So if we both we'll call each other. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. Yep. I'm here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, tell me a little bit about your SaaS journey. You are quite the entrepreneur. I mean, have you always been entrepreneurial? Mm. I've been entrepreneurial before it was like sexy or cool. Like when it was like just out of necessity. So I grew up with nothing. I grew up in the trailer park. And to me, it was me going to my mom and go, her going, cool, we don't have money to go to the movies or whatever it is. And I was like, all right, cool. That's fine. I love you. Uh, but I'm going to still go to the movies. So like, I'm going to try to go sell myself, go do something, whatever I can. What are some odd jobs that I can do to get back to make some money? And I think at like 10 or 11, uh, you know, it was like the odd jobs, like, mowing lawns and walking dogs like paper route you know and i started like a sales club it was called olympia sales club at the time and it was i was like 10 or 11 and i got three dollars for every item that i sold uh, out of this catalog and when it got too much for me to handle i would hire my stepbrother and uh, a couple of neighborhood kids and i'd give them a dollar for every item that they sold that's so, fantastic. Intuitively learning how to scale a sales organization at 11. Hello. Like this isn't norm this is this isn't normal behavior. Right? So this isn't a taught behavior either. Right? Like you're thinking you're just thinking cool, this is my thing. I get more than everyone else. All right? So I set up the system, I get a disproportionate value. And you're not thinking scale or unit metrics, right? You're not thinking any of the stuff that you learn now when you're in your 20s and 30s and 40s as you go. And you're just going, man, like I did that just because I wanted to like go to Disney World and we couldn't afford it or going to the movies and we couldn't afford it. And then you start to mature. And as you get older, you're like, cool, how do I put those natural gifts into play to be an entrepreneur? And I kind of lost my way in college because growing up with nothing, you kind of chase a paycheck maybe. And I don't know, I lost in this like social pressure to have a good job going out. And I didn't really follow the risk that comes along with being an entrepreneur. And I worked for a consulting firm right out of college. Uh, then I worked for the movie studios in LA for a little while, which I loved. I love that. Um, and then, then I worked for my first venture back startup in Santa Monica and it raised some good money. This was in like 2013, 14, I think 2014. And I was an ops manager and I, I remember, I'll never forget. I was making a third of what I made, like we're in consulting a third. It was like $15 an hour. Isn't it? And I remember the first week that I worked there. I organized the pay structure for 3,000 contractors across the country. This was like my job. And it got approved the first week, first Friday. I pitched it to the founders. 
Um, and they were like, yeah, cool. This is good. This is what we'll do. And I'm like, shoot, this is the coolest thing on earth to within a week of being somewhere affecting that change for thousands of people across thousands of people across the country. That's nuts. That is my, that was my first foray into like adult entrepreneurship and startup land. Uh, that went out of business. And then I founded my own company called Air 5, which is the first iteration of what I was doing now, kind of. And that was just like a digital business card exchange. Um, and after I did that, that pivoted 14 different times. Um, but then I ended up selling each one of those 14 pivots by like downloading the source code, reselling it over and over and over again, hacking things because I'm non-technical, right? For me, I don't code. But I have gone to like design school. Um, so like I'm a UI UX designer. Um, I would guess you would call it by trade. Accountant by background. <laughs> <laughs> Auditor. Auditor by background. But you want to know that thing about like learning how to do a walkthrough and stuff when you're auditing like a production line or auditing these things kind of does go with like being a process oriented thinker, which I, I'm just now thinking about on SAS fuel. Uh, I should probably sell that more. And with that, we started to go, cool, there's got to be a way to better productize this offering. Right? We had 14 iterations of a product. I was selling each one. And that's when V1 slash Task Magic came about. Uh, and that's kind of where we're at now, where we just crossed like a million in revenue. Um, we've raised a couple million in venture capital. And things are still, things are kind of growing, kind of going up. At the same time, you're thinking, oh man, at any time, at any time you expect the <laughs> down and back up again. So that's where we are. That's good. Yeah, always up and to the right. That's where you want it to go. You know, that's where everyone wants it to go, right? But it never goes like that. Like it never, our chart goes like this, like up and to the right, well, down a little bit and up and to the right, yep. then, then fucking drops like a like just drops. And now it's back past where it was then. But like in the middle of that, in that trough, right? You think to yourself, that's like your give up moment. You know, like that's like you shed staff. You are like, why am I doing this? Like it went from like 40 ish K a month to like four. And you're wow. thinking, uh, like you really think, why am I doing this? That's the one thing you go after is, and I had so many people telling me you should dissolve this, incorporate under the new product. And I thought to myself, like, no, like I get a new stripe. So like these tactics, get a new stripe with a new bank account, with a new company. So you don't have the history of like that. Like, yep like the downside and i go no like i'm interested in the story in the narrative of, if i'm gonna hide the imperfections go f off i don't know sorry if i you can't swear i'll try not to swear <laughs> <laughs> but like for me it's i'm not embarrassed that it went down i'm embarrassed for you if you judge me because that's what happened like it's what kind of crappy place are you in that you're ashamed that your stuff all went down? 
and you couldn't get it back up. My story is going to be how I got there, came down, went back up, came down a little bit again, and skyrocketed back up. Like, I want that visual to be there. I want to go to that one account and go from beginning to end and see this. So other people, like we were talking about, like the real story, like don't hide the imperfections. Everything for me is out there. Like, I absolutely love building and building in public. It's the people who judge it, who can't take it, that it's like, get out of the game. You know? Yeah. So those are the things that I've learned from where I'm at. It's hard. It's hard out there to be an entrepreneur. It is. And, and I think that's part of, of every story. Nobody's story is all up and to the right. It, it just isn't. Yeah. I mean, there, there are those moments that, that you do want to give up. Uh, for you, what, what is it that makes you move forward? You know, what is your why? I think, well, look, I've, I've got this same mic, I think, that I have, but it's not plugged into anything. <laughs> so if I keep it off to the side a bit, does it look like, is that, is that a better visual? I like that. There you go. Yeah, there you All go. Right. Yeah. So like for me, I act, it goes back to the nine, 10, 11 year old individual. Like this wasn't something I chose to do because it was fashionable. they like, I, I don't care if, if an investor gave me a $50,000 check and won't answer my emails. Like less pressure off me, I guess, to respond to your stuff. I take very personal. I take it very personal when anyone gives me any money for anything, a customer, an investor. And I'm like, cool, I've got to deliver value. I would rather, I, here's the tip, here's the tip on SaaS fuel. I would rather be dead, like in, in a box, six feet under the ground than not being an entrepreneur. I'd rather make nothing. Like I'm, I came from the trailer park. Like I came from nothing. Who cares? Right. It's like, I don't have nothing now. As a matter of fact, I scheduled my delivery day for my Tesla. So <laughs> there you more. go. But like for me, I've been at nothing. I know what that tastes like. So I'm not saying I'm, I'm comfortable with going back, but I've really audited myself and thinking, why, why are you doing this? Like all those times it went down, I thought to myself, why would, why am I putting up with this? Right? Like, why is it for me that people can like leave our company or like I had a product person, love him to death, best friend, little brother. He, he worked for me for about two and a half years. And so he earned some stock, right? Like he's got some shares in this company and he left because I couldn't pay him as much. And he like hit a ceiling at the company. Cause we didn't have the right, like we only had like five, six, seven people, right? Like he was the top product person, but he wasn't leveling up his game. And so we worked for like another bigger company where he got almost twice the salary and uh, he had people to learn from, right? That wasn't like a startup where you're just learning from yourself and me and sure. what you read on TechCrunch. And um, it's funny that my wife, when he left was like, you are the hardest working person I've ever met. And I'm sure most people will tell you the same thing. But you make next to nothing. And you could probably leave this job and go make 250 300 
somewhere else. And I said, and I actually, for the first time in my life, this was made, this was maybe a year and a half ago. Um, for the first time in my life, I thought about it for the first time as an adult. I thought to myself, can I, like, what would I do? What would I do? Like, and 30 seconds does not feel like that long a time. Does not, except when you're in your own head, really contemplating something deep. Sure. And I thought to myself, nope. And the answer why is how lucky am I that I get to wake up every morning and do my dream? Right. So many people, I'm 34. So many people by my age give up, give up on their dream, right? To go build someone else's dream. Like how, how, how ridiculous does that sound? Like people sell their dream for 200 grand. If you told me, I'm going to give you 200 grand, you've got to give up on this idea. And I go, no, like I would say, no, no, I'll live poor. I will go personal bankruptcy before I stop doing, I'm not going to give in to any excuse to do anything because I know what it's like to live a purpose driven life. Like, and I know this is big. This is, this sounds really heady, but it's not. It's like people don't audit themselves enough. People don't look in and go, why am I doing this? Because it's cool on TechCrunch and or because this one big investor said it was a good idea. So I'm going to start chasing that. I don't give a poop. I don't care about <laughs> any of it. It's great to build those relationships. It's great to take the checks. It's great to serve customers. But like the main focus, the main focal point should be on customers, number one. Like, and then making sure your product actually solves an issue. I would do this for next to nothing. I won't say nothing anymore because it's not realistic. You can live a lean life. You know, you can make three, four, five grand a month if that's the case and live lean. I would live in my car. I would live in my car and <laughs> like, commitment. to do this. Yeah. Like, because I know what the other side is. I know what working for the consulting firms or working for other people feels like. I've walked into startups and I walk into the very first startup. I walked into the startup and I've worked for a couple and I'm all I'm doing. It doesn't matter. Dude, I was an ops manager. So I was management. And then I was a director at one. And every time I walked into the office, I was just filled with jealousy that I didn't do what they did. Like, like, listen to the jealousy out there. Like, what turns you on? What makes you a person? What do, like, listen, d- jealousy is a good feeling, by the way. Like, it shows you what you want. So, like, chase that. Chase the lack. People tell you, oh, suppress your je- Shouldn't be jealous of other people. Yeah. Yeah, you should be. (laughs) Like, you should feel these feelings. We were given these feelings for a reason. Listen to them, deploy energy to them. That's my rant (laughs) on why I'm doing this. So you've pivoted several times. Uh, You you talked about like 14 different iterations of the product Mm. and landed on Task Magic. How do you know when you should pivot, when when you should stick? So most people will tell you that um, it's like you listen to customers or 
like listen to your internal people or your employees. Most of it is listening to the market, but it's listening to the market first and then building the thing you want to build around it. So if I, I, I lost like a drive for an individual product because I wasn't seeing something in the market or from customer feedback. So the first thing was uh, like a digital business card exchange. So the very first uh, version of that, um, of Air 5. And I go, okay, I'm not seeing where this get, this got to 50, 60, 70 customers. Cool. Now, are they paying you? Yes. No. What are they telling you about it? And then you take all that customer driven data and are you making money? And is it growing? Why isn't it growing? Like, what are all the factors as to why it's not growing? What the feedback is? Can you iterate on the feedback? Is there an easier solution that might grow faster? You take out all these data points and still hold them all there and look at the screen and go, is it worth the pain of like figuring all this out with this product? How do I feel about it? So like, then I go, ah, I, I, I think if we did this one thing, to, it has a lot to do with first market feedback, taking that market feedback and judgment as a founder or a product person and going, I don't even, I don't like this. Like, I feel like if we did this, then it just kind of morphs and becomes its own product thereafter, if that makes any sense. So first off is like customer driven data. Like, don't listen to people who aren't paying you. Like, the, it just, it's pointless feedback. It's pointless. And then, um, so the people that are paying you get their feedback. Would they use it? What kind of products would they, would they use with it? What kind of features? Don't build too many features. But... Once you hear from a, a certain subset of your paying customers, you then start to judge like, is this the product they want? Is this the product I want to build for them? Is there a bigger opportunity? Then like all of that combined, you kind of like make a decision. All right, let's stick this out. I still feel passionate about this. Or if we pivoted a little bit away from this thing, added these two features, and then it just morphs in and becomes something else. It's always like a natural progression. And that's kind of how I've pivoted out of every idea into another one. So is there a difference in building a product versus building a business? And do you see those as, as different? Are some oh, products, God, yes. you just yeah. kind of their own thing where, it, you know, you're going to sell some of that, but you can't really build a business around it. Yeah. So I'll never do that. So I would never build a product. I always start with the business model. And I know that's me as a, as an entrepreneur, not a product person. So I'll always build like the tools nowadays. And I built one of them, V1, where you can just go build a V1 or like your first version of something quickly. There's a lot of tools out there, a lot of database sure. tools like Airtable, Google Sheets, V1, Softer, a bunch of other products out there that you can quickly do something in a couple of days. And then give feedback. You can actually put paywalls to these things and e-commerce on these things and start making sales and listening to your paying customers. So those excuses all out. So now that you have like all of these tools readily available for you to make a V1 that someone can pay for, I think, all right, so there's no reason to build a product and hope someone would buy it. You can give, you can start signing up demand and signing up people and making paywalls for things. 
and really getting feedback ba- based on paying customers before you even build a thing. So like I never start with the product. I always start with the customer. So I go, cool. Who would buy? Great. That's a great idea. Great idea. Jeff, like, cool. Uh, who's the, who's the customer? What does the customer look like? I always start with what the customer looks like. And if the customer would pay for this, then I go and start building what the product would look like. So I know it's backwards. Like I'm going to build this product. I'm going to do this thing. And people, one of the, one of the biggest things people say is like, always oh, just, you know, if it's just you using the product, that's fine. And I love it, except you buy it then. So if, if it's worth enough for you to build it and buy it from yourself, then there will be another customer. Like if it's worth enough that you would pay for it and you haven't found a solution that works out there. Yeah. See that, but always start with the customer if you're an entrepreneur. Otherwise, you're just building that's product and wasting time. You know? <laughs> uh, I think anybody that's built anything has probably done some of that. I know I Everyone. Have. I think everyone. Like, yeah. I found out very early on that, like, I think I was backed into a corner because I couldn't build product at the beginning. Right? So, like, I'm not, I wasn't a, I'm not a coder. Like, I can do product or design like UI or UX and thing. I can make prototypes and mock things up. But at the end of the day, for heavy engineered things, you need engineers. You know? So it's like Airtable sure. itself was not built using no code. You know? It needs engineers. So, but as the as the CEO, your job should be getting money in the bank. And you're doing everyone a disservice right. if you're not. So what do you think the, the future is uh, of apps? What do you think about like low code, no code? Is that the future or is it something different? Yeah. So like th- there's a weird trend happening right now where I dislike what people are doing with no code tools. Everyone thinks they're a subject matter expert. It's one thing to build something, start selling something and service your customers it's more like the people you were talking about, which is they start with a product, just build the product. They've made no money with it. They've done nothing with it. And you're like, one, shut your mouth and build, build. Just build and get customers. When you start getting customers, right. then you can start talking a little bit like, oh, this is so valuable that people are willing to pay money for. There is an entry point for these no code, low code tools where you can build these tools with build using these tools, sell using these tools, and then get customers and then have you have the feedback loop of the customers that are paying you giving you feedback, you build more onto it. And then you prove something out and you can do this probably to like a million dollars in revenue on betting, half a million to a million. But by that time, you can now hire engineers and you can hire staff and you can do all these things to build the right product. It has always been the entry point. It will never, you, I don't think you'll ever see a completely no code business scale to like tens of millions of dollars. You might get seven figures, but like that should be a, that will, here, here, uh, hint, that will be all you'll ever get. Right? Like yeah. there's so many people that think, then today it's going to be what's going to get me to 100 million in revenue and that's going to be a unicorn. That is not the case. So like sometimes I'd be happy with just 5 to 10 million a year. 
It's when people start believing they need to rebuild stuff in no code, hire engineers with something that's not proven. I know people that have built a $50,000, $60,000 like bubble web app. Bubble is a no code tool. Um, right. And once it was done, a few weeks later, they were like, uh, we're just going to like hire some engineers now. And you're like, what? You just dropped 60 grand on this thing. Like, I would not invest in you if that was your attitude. I would not want to follow you if that was your if you were just so cavalier with cash. I can't do that. I don't know what it is. But for me, it's no code, low code, really cool to prove out a concept to get you initial dollars, initial feedback, and to even be a living for yourself. It, it No code is so empowering, so empowering. It should be used to either make a lifestyle business for yourself, up to 1 million, 2 million maybe, but things will break and it will get better, but it's still you're talking low millions, which should still be enough for your lifestyle company. Sure. Right. Or it should be used to get to a million and then use everything that you've learned, including the cash to hire staff, go raise money if you think you want to be a unicorn, right? Like a billion dollar company. You're not going to get there. I don't, I don't believe you'll ever get there. I don't think you should get there based on someone else's tech, right? Like I just think there, there's natural friction points. Where if you're building with someone else's tech, it's not your tech. Does that right. make sense? Like, it so does. we usually used to we used to give people like the ability to like export their source code. So like, and they could just pay for it, and then it's all yours, and you can deal with it. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I feel about like the no code landscape. Is build your lifestyle company one two million a year. You can scale it there. Um, or use it to get to that level and then go raise money, hire engineers, do whatever to rebuild your own product. That's kind of build the next version. Yeah, right. At that point, you've probably proven product market fit. You know that this is something that's viable. It has legs and it it can be a 10, 20, $100 million business. Yes. Like, you know, by the time you hit one to 2 million and like ARR, what's going to work, what's not going to work. People don't understand that getting to that level, you're 1% of every startup that's ever founded, been found. Like yeah. it, it's so weird that we read these things and the headlines of everything. Like, and we, we listen to podcasts and watch YouTube and we focus on this. I can be a billion dollar. Dude, how about this? Before you got to be a billion dollar company, you got to be a $1 million company. So focus right. on that. Focus on that first. Then what? figure out all the data that you have when you hit that level. And do you still think you can be a billion dollars? Or are you comfortable at a million with your two staff members, you pulling out five, six hundred grand a year and be just like loving life? You know, like you could love life at that level. There is a version when you chase that high goal. This is a sad thing to think. But like those people lives suck like sometimes like yeah like it's you i mean look at what elon's going through right now like elon the people at the upper echelon of what people want to be that guy works 120 hours a week has no life got eight kids from 
five different moms or whatever it is, whatever it is, ruins relationships. Same with everyone. Jeff Bezos, divorce. Like what life is great if you like that one thing? If you're going to get that one thing and you're going to be that great, uber sacrifice and uber regret, I'm sure you'll have getting to that level. I've had tastes of it, but it's just if you're willing to sacrifice it all. Otherwise, if you're willing to just sit there, make a couple million a year, you know, don't really got people to ask you. You hire someone for 160 grand to kind of do your job, you know, <laughs> like that's cushy life. So I don't know. It's been something that I'm diving into lately. It's like the most comfortable place on earth is like middle management, you know, like, <laughs> like, Dude, I, and you probably feel this too, where hiring staff, right? Like if I have 14 employees, uh, there isn't just my family or my daughter's Christmas or recital. It's 100%. Uh, 14 other. So if I don't take that meeting and miss my daughter's recital, 14 families don't get Christmas, Right. Like there is a real, there's a real, as a real example, by the way, like you don't take that meeting with that partner or that investor. That means $1.6 million. Those people, and you're going out of business or something's not great, or you're not going to get that investment. You go out of business. Those 14 people now don't have Christmas presents. They can't go to their daughter's dance recitals. Like these are the realities that you have to make when you're chasing that kind of greatness. It's funny because not a lot of people are talking about it while they're going through it. So it's very interesting. Yeah, usually if you hear about it, it's it's a lot later and it's the, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wish I'd done it differently. Right. right. Yes. Yeah. It, it's always later you hear about it. It's never let's talk about this because it's healthy while I'm going through it, while he's going through it, while they're going through it. While everybody is doing this thing, it's like it's taboo to sit there and go, yeah, these are real trade-offs. Do you want this or do you not want it? And then it's like they end up three years from now blaming the system. And it's like, dude, you I could have told you this. Like you knew what you were going through. You know investors. You shouldn't think investors give a rip like what you, what your personal life is. They have an obligation to their limited partners to make money. If you are not making money for them and you're not growing for them, they're not going to give you the attention you need. So like there are these real realities where it's like you take the niceties out of everything. You go, what do you want? You want to be great? Okay, cool. Would you be great? Would you, it, is your chase for greatness worth a divorce? Maybe another one. Uh, bad relationships with your kids. And the problem becomes bad relationships with your mom or your dad or your your brother uh, not going to that event with these three people because you got to work. And it's like, people think that I mean, when I say that stuff, I mean, all of that's going to happen all at once. And it's going to be a slow burn of those it events. Is. It's not just all of this happens at once and you get screwed out of everything. It's these are little compromises that stack up. Right. It's yeah. not like you go, oh, cool. No, I got to do this. Otherwise, I'm screwed or like I've got to do it's you want to do it. And it's somewhat sadistic. Right. You're like, I, 
I want to build this more than I want to breathe. That's going back to what we talked about, finding your purpose in life. Mm-hmm. Like you don't get two purposes in life, right? Like, how vain are you to think <laughs> that you get not one purpose, but two purposes? You get one. So when people find that purpose, it could be your your spouse or your kids or your, it could be those things. But then you're talking because they found out how great middle management is. You know, dude, I get to work like 31 hours. You know, some, some, <laughs> so you know how often I hear, dude, that people make 90 grand, okay, 90 grand. And like last week they worked three and a half hours. And I'm like, sometimes, man, I wish. Sometimes I wish. <laughs> some days it doesn't sound too bad, right? Some, da- some days it's like yeah. the majority. No, I will be very real honest. Going through this, path of doing this thing is 49% of the time you want to quit. 49% of the time you want to quit. You want to go after that, that middle management position. And the reason you don't is because 51% is worth it. The 1%, that's all you're, that's all you're trying to get (laughs) is that like 51% of the time, it's the highest high on earth. The fact that you walked into that company or you changed for the better 3,000 people across the country. Yeah. Right back to that initial point. But yeah. So do you think it's mutually exclusive to build a business and have a family and a life? Or do you think those two things can, can coexist at the same time and, and you can do both well? I don't think you can do both well. I don't. The reality is you can do a $5 million a year, $10 million a year well, both. You can. You can get to that level and you can be an entrepreneur and you can chase greatness. But there, if you want, and I do, I've tried to study this and I've talked to so many people. And a lot of the reason why is because that's what our platform does is help small business owners and like entrepreneurs and people in this ecosystem who want to be, everyone kind of wants to be Jeff Bezos, right? Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, or even like startup founders where that get in TechCrunch and now have a unicorn and they're the founder. Oh, wow. That product's so amazing. The Figma founder, you know Figma? Yes. Yes, of course. So like, yeah, right. Yeah. And um, you should. Yeah. So like everyone wants to be that person. Like, or are you familiar with Notion? Should I even ask? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So yeah, we it, it took, yeah, great. It took yeah. the notion founders and the Figma founders a half a decade of eating poop of eating it. Just like no one knew who they were. No one knew what they were doing to figure out the product market fit. Then all of a sudden on year six with both of these companies, very similar, just kind of shot up and everyone was like overnight success. Overnight success and, after a six-year grind, right? Right. Yeah. And that is really how it is. Like, I remember listening sure. to, because like Jason Calcanis is one of our investors. And I, I was listening to his podcast and he had Dylan Field on, which was the founder of Figma. And these people, dude, they you'll see them on stage and they'll be great. And they'll be themselves. In the back of, in the, in the back of the house, Right. 
their stuff is so messy. It's not even fine. Because what it takes to get to that level, to make a $10 billion company, a billion dollar company, a $20 billion company, it takes absolute chaos and absolute collateral damage. So depending on if you're okay being an entrepreneur of an $8.5 million a year company, and depending on how great you want to be, you might trip, make mistakes and get to 20. But you're not going to be a billion-dollar company. You're not. Like it's like there, I would like to hear from anybody who's made a billion-dollar company and hasn't made incredible sacrifices. And when we talk about sacrifice, I'm like, I haven't golfed in like so long. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, like it's like not real sacrifice. Yeah, right. Real sacrifices. Yeah. My the, my wife or my husband is like just. I, I mean, I don't even care anymore. Or, man, I'm, this is the third game I've missed in my son's baseball game. You know what I mean? And you're like, cool. I've been in the position just in my little time just to get to where I'm at. Where if you don't make that meeting, that deal doesn't happen. Not saying the company would go out of business, but I've been in there where it's been a five-figure to six-figure deal, low six figures, but this one was a five-figure I have in my mind, high five-figure deal. And it's like, if I didn't get it, we'd have negative growth for that month. Investors would be pissed. We wouldn't be able to attract new investors. And you're thinking, if I don't, if I, I can't close this because this is who they want to hear from. They don't want to hear from like just the VP of sales. He's also on this call. But if I don't show up, and I have dinner with my wife plan. Now I've got to cancel that. If that happens once, I'm sure it's forgivable. But it's not once that that happens. It's cool. We got that deal. Now you got this, you got that serotonin, got that drug feeling. You know, you're like, got it. I'm a deal maker now. I'm a rainmaker, <laughs> you know? And you think about this and it's just projecting it out. Cool. Cause we're at a million. What's it take to get to, oh, you think it's just as easy to get to one as eight? No, it takes eight times the sacrifice. Maybe it's a little law of diminishing. So maybe you're like, it's four times the sacrifice. Then you're like, oh, great. Do you have any relationships that you get to a hundred million a year? Most people that I've talked with, that I've gotten to have a real conversation with, and they'll never say it on a podcast, especially while they're going through it. It's, they will tell you how hard it is to do it. They'll tell you how hard it is, but they won't tell you while they're going through it, the dinner they just missed, the recital they just missed, how horrible it sounds to do these things. And you just look at that founder's lucky. Oh, they're a millionaire and they bought their Tesla and whatever it is. But right. I don't, I wouldn't say they're mutually exclusive. I would say depending on the level of greatness you want to attain. Ambition comes at a price. No one walks out of this game with both of those things. No one, dude. It's like billionaire after billionaire after billionaire. I mean, take whatever billionaire you want. Like, I went to Michigan State. So Eli Broad was the, is the namesake on Michigan State's business college. He built two Fortune 100 companies, for, or Fortune 500 companies from nothing. 
Can you imagine building one? That's pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So, and again, he's worth like seven, eight, nine billion dollars. And he passed RIP. But I remember listening to one of his interviews and you could tell that he did not have good relationships with his kids at all. It was like non-existent. It was in like a 60 minute interview. And it was like, yeah, they probably have freaking trust. And it's like, and he bought it and tried to get it back later once you're, once you're done. And it's no one gets out of this with like, how could you? The demands of you as a founding CEO and a, and a mature CEO are so great. It never stops. So what do you do? Do you stop that? Right. Do you hire a COO that's more hungry and wants it more? That like will go after, but that stakeholder on the other side of the table will always want to hear from the CEO at some point. I've been on, I've been on private jets with billionaires and they think differently. It's not the same mindset you have with people. It's not the same. They will sleep, be sleeping on a couch in the plane. Okay. So this, I'll do this part of Jettis. Sleeping on the couch. And then all of a sudden they'll hear something that goes on and go, holy crap. Holy, what the, what, how is that going to that? And you're like, this isn't, then they'll turn it on on stage. And you're like, what, who was that? That's not the same person that I, and you're like the, the level of like equal, like the equilibrium in their head is just different. The chemistry is different. The pattern of the, the pattern of the way they think is different. And they got there and it's almost like they spend the later years of their life trying to make up for the sacrifice they had in the first 30 years. Well, that happens like, a lot. Like, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think we could go into so much of this, but like, I've just been thinking about this more and more and more. Like, is it where every step I take, right? Like when we hit one mil or two mil, it's every step I take. Is that worth what I'm doing? Am I happy with what I'm doing? The ability to take a self audit with everything, get all the distractions out. You want a kid? Cool. Like have a kid, make it work. You know, like my wife, who I love and is my best friend and my soulmate, she was like, all right, we're going to have a kid. And I said, okay, fine. I'm not where I want to be. I do want a kid. I don't want to be 10 years from now and regret that, you know? Sure. And, but it's her dream now. Like it's her thing. And I was like, all right. And the way she got me, because she knows me and she is my soulmate, was, you know, kids don't have memories for the first like five years anyway. So you just be like, no, you know? <laughs> and I was like, oh, it like made me want to like, because I think she knows that I want to be a good father. Or like, I want to be there. I don't want to be an absentee. But the way she knows how to talk to me, you know? So it's like having surrounding yourself with those type of people that have the good relationships that understand that entrepreneurship is more a disease than not is <laughs> like is is a is a healthy thing. Like she understands completely what I'm doing. So it's good to have those. And uh that's a long way of saying Yeah. I'm do you think so, by the way? What is your thought on it? Uh, I think you can do both. I think mm. it's it's a matter of priorities and, yeah. and deciding what's what's most important. And you know, it, it's rare, I think, that that you lose a deal because of 
you know, having to do something, you know, going to a recital or something else. Yeah. Um, but I think it, it just becomes, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more challenging managing the schedule. So yeah. it's, it's deciding for yourself, you know, what are my non-negotiables? What are the things, sure. you know, going back to Stephen Covey, what are my big rocks? You know, what's going in there first? Yeah. And, and then you decide that. And then, you know, what are the, the other smaller things? I bet you Stephen Covey did not have great relationships with him. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you don't, I'm telling you this. Sure. I do, you don't get your name to be Stephen Covey. You don't get to pass. A, is he still alive? No, I don't think so, right? Is he? I don't know. I don't, we'll I, I, we'll so. I don't know. We'll Google later. I don't know. <laughs> we'll edit this one out. Yeah. Keep uh, it. Imperfections. I love yeah, this we'll stuff, the imperfections. by the way. Yeah, yeah, right, correct. <laughs> This is the stuff I love, right? I want to, I want the archive of this. So like, th- I don't believe, I just, I refuse to believe you should be like, anyone should be as privileged to be able to have both. Like I, it's not a, no one knows Stephen Covey and then goes, the guy has everything in his life. It's not a, I think over time it's, it's being exposed over and over and over again. That like everyone's life, whose name you can say, whose name you remember because it was in that training that time or you met him, met her that one other time. Those people, there is something that goes on behind closed doors that no one knows and they try very hard to hide. Can you imagine if you were able to hire multiple six people, six figures a year to just hide your crap? Like you could do that. <laughs> I think that happens right. a lot. Right. So that is the, I, I would like to see someone who built a $100 million a year business and who's on, I don't know. I've never seen a conversation that has been like, oh yeah, like, no, great conversation. My kids, great kids, great stuff. And it's like, damn, like with no regrets, like no regrets is fine. But like going back and forth between, I'm, I'm dude. If you have something at eight, it's binary. If you have something at eight p.m., like you said, priorities, priorities in itself. If you look from first principles, is one thing ranks higher than the other thing. That's right. what a priority is. Right. So I'm gonna. So what is it? It you can't have. They can't be this. So what is the priority? So you're going to tell your wife or your husband, Monday, the priority is what, Jeff? Right? Like, cool. So my, uh, no, dude, it's the, it's the family. Family's priority. You got to make a priority. <laughs> All right. So it's like this. So business takes a backseat on Monday. Okay. Family is Monday. Tuesday comes around. What's the priority? What is it? The good in you goes family. Family, yeah, family. They cannot be here. You have to pick which one is it every day. That is the hard, hard part. The very, very, very difficult part where it's an understanding between your spouse, your family. I chose right now that I would rather lead my kids, future kids, by example. You can accomplish every dream you wanted because guess what? I did it. I did it. 
I will show you the way. Just watch what I do. Don't, don't listen to everything that I say. Watch what I do. I will build you the archetype for this. And you can do it. And I will help you. But watch what I'm doing every day. Watch the sacrifice that's involved. That I think is breaking down what priorities are is I think very, very interesting exercise because you don't get away with it for very, you know, for very long, you know, I don't know. That's what I think, but I appreciate your point of view as well. Well, where can people learn more about uh, you and about task magic online? Oh, so taskmagic.com. So task, can you believe we got the domain? Isn't that cool? Uh, Taskmagic.com. That's right. So taskmagic.com, uh, or you can watch my content um, on YouTube, which is youtube.com slash the Jeremy Redmond. So one of the, or you can email me at uh, Jeremy Redmond at taskmagic.com. If you'd like to yell at me, uh, <laughs> say nice things, need help on something, I'm there for everyone in the SaaS Fuel audience. Awesome. Thank you, Jeremy. It's a great conversation. Thanks for having me so much. I really do appreciate it. Thanks again to Jeremy for coming to the show and sharing your insights and resources. You can learn more about Jeremy at taskmagic.com. And you can, of course, find him on YouTube as the Jeremy Redman. All links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. If you get any value from the show, please subscribe. Of course, that's all free. And leave us a review. It means a lot to me and lets the team know that you really appreciate the content. Everyone who subscribes this week helps us stay alive for another year and you'll receive an emotional support orca. Probably shouldn't try to fly with that one. So thank you, Dave Conley, for that fun idea. Uh, Your orca can probably help you push past fear, get rid of the head trash and accomplish the impossible. They're pretty amazing animals. Join us next week on our founder series for Alexander Lin, creator of several different SaaS products, Boulderly.com, Leadsforce.io, and service company Wordster.io. His latest venture is called ShipShape, which uses AI to keep your home running smoothly. It's an incredible concept. From a seasoned SaaS founder, you'll love to hear his story, uh, his journey, and where he is, what he's doing going forward. And on our SaaS Fuel Expert series, we have Park Howell, founder of the Business of Story. He's known as the world's most industrious storyteller, helping leaders of purpose-driven brands grow by as much as 600%. And you know that story has a lot to do with how you're perceived in the marketplace and that marketing brand. So that's going to be a great conversation. So I will see you next time. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.